It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. Suddenly, once you start imagining a worst-case scenario, you roll it around in your head after a while, and suddenly you've almost convinced yourself that it's going to happen. And a lot of times, the, the outcome is nearly as bad as what you imagined it would be. Nothing really substantial coming from the league office. Who knows? I'm scared for this game that I've grown up loving. I'm also scared that there might not be any game. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. Hi everyone, I'm Pat Mooney along with Heath Graham and Don Charbon. We are here for a Quick Kick episode. Welcome. Thanks, Pat. Great to be back. Sorry for the uh, brief hiatus there, but I'm, I'm back in action. That's good news. And everyone's, everyone's safe, everyone's healthy? We're doing great, yep. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Well, taking a look at a few items out there, uh, of course, people are starting to get excited. We're hearing the BC Lions have invited people to come back towards training camp, looking at some of the dates that Randy Ambrosi initially identified are back out there. You guys feeling optimistic about this? I am. I know Hamilton had kind of sent a message out a couple of weeks ago that they are going to be playing in 2021. And now we're hearing news that training camps are going to be opening July 10th and the August 5th start date seems to be a go. I've seen a few players on social media have been posting that they've been vaccinated and getting ready to go. So um, it's great news all around and looks like things are falling into place. From what I know, only three teams have really jumped on the wagon of we're going to be ready for August the 5th. The other six have been pretty quiet about it. I think that shows a little bit of division within the league with respect to do we play in 2021 or not. I'm certain that there are a couple of entities that are not too thrilled about doing this, and there are entities that say we've got to go. Bob Young, who is championing the the cause to get 2021 going. For me, I think it's a matter of whether or not the teams have been able to hear from the provincial regulating bodies that they're good to go. And and I know that not everyone's heard that, but like Heath, I'm fairly optimistic because I do think things change very rapidly from week to week. And we're seeing a real ramp up in terms of people who are getting vaccinated and provinces starting to unveil those plans. So I think as it rolls out, we may see a number of provinces that are able to go, but like we said before, there may be others, and I'm thinking in particular down to the east, that initially may not be able to. So I would assume that if I were scheduling, uh, you're going to see a number of teams moving down to the west or those areas that have said they're open. To me, that's probably the next stage is to take a look at who do we think is moving ahead and start revamping the schedule so you can get that schedule out which has teams that aren't able to open going a little bit later into september october for home games yeah and we're certainly seeing that with some provincial governments now i know saskatchewan has really laid out a reopening plan british columbia has as well i saw some news today that um, alberta's got some plans in place they're hoping to be able to get crowds in for the calgary stampede coming up in july so uh, those three provinces for sure seem to be on board to get something rolling I know Manitoba's talked about some reopening plans, but they are the highest per capita of people with testing positive for COVID right now and people in the ICU. So it's a bit of a hot spot. Of course, Ontario, you never know what is going to happen. Um, The Premier of Quebec was talking about how proud he is of, of Quebecers, and they are certainly starting to reopen parts of the province. Montreal itself isn't there yet, but if the rest of the province is successful, then Montreal probably isn't too far behind. So 
really you've got Ontario and possibly Manitoba a little bit behind schedule compared to the rest. And uh, so if we look at that, then more than half of the league are going to be able to to host games right out of the gate. I don't think the CFL and especially the Eastern clubs are going to live with the notion that they have to play a sizable amount of their games in the West. The revenue hit is just going to be too great. I do believe that if the schedule does include interlocking play, that they could start with a game or two out West as road games to get the season underway on time and then move back East when the opportunity arises in the schedule. Toronto, Hamilton, Ottawa, they're all governed by the same provincial system. And that's one third of the league right there. You've got two teams in Alberta. That's the only other case where you have multiple cities involved in any provincial decision. If Alberta and Ontario cannot get themselves to the point where they can open up as much as they can, that's five-ninths of the league that isn't going to be ready. You can't shuffle the deck all over the place trying to accommodate this with only four venues left over. I think that the CFL has to get assurances from all provinces involved that it's going to be okay because I don't think they want to get into a situation where, and, and they've been so hesitant about this, where they actually decide, yes, we're going for this. We're unlocking the door and we are going for this and then have one of those two pull back and say, no, I'm sorry, cases here have just exploded again. We cannot. It's a slippery slope once you get started and it's hard to pull back. You've got a constituency of players that are going to be scratching their heads like, what's going on? As Rob Vanstone put it in the last podcast, your stakeholders, your fans, what are they going to start to think? You've already missed one season. If you start bumping around with this one too much, you're actually disaffecting them more and more and more. Yet if the league does want to play, I think that they will take a look, and, and we've heard them chatter before about looking at all contingencies and making sure we have plans upon plans. And, and uh, one of the plans that the league would be prudent to take a look at would be relocating those Eastern teams maybe to the West for a period of time. Certainly, Don, they do, as you mentioned, have to have the ability to have some guarantees that they will be able to get back in their stadiums within a certain time point, whether that's September or into October. You could take a look at that in that manner. At least you're going to have the league operating for a period of time and you're able to get the season underway as opposed to just hesitating because one or two provinces haven't quite made it there yet. So if you were to see a couple of Eastern teams come more to central Canada, I think you you may see a little bit of a bubble start for a month or two. And I say central, meaning Western Canada. You might see a little bubble start for a little bit where, where teams start playing, even though they're not in their home stadiums. It at least gives the opportunity to play as long as there's a commitment from the provinces to allow fans into stands at a certain point in time. But you can't live on those types of promises. And what Eastern team is going to give up a revenue date? They have to play a full slate of games at home. And if it's 14 games in the season. That means seven have to be played at home. You can't stay out west too long before you start losing those. True. They're going to be potentially missing some, but is it better to cancel the league by missing two or three games that they wouldn't have home revenue or pick the revenue from people who may choose to go to those games if Western stadiums only open up with 30, 40, 50% capacity. So you could play the Eastern games where Western people would go as well. It gives them the, the funding and allows the league to start the season in August or on time, if we look at that timeline at least. I don't see how Toronto, Ottawa, Hamilton are going to be thrilled with the idea that they could give up some home dates. I don't think they would be, but I think the league would be. 
to get the league going and, and uh, you know, allow the viability of the league instead of postponing another season and not playing. To me, that's one of the options that the league should be investigating. But if you've got a third of your governors upset over this, do you proceed? To get the league playing? I, I think you do. In my opinion, that would be a prudent thing to do. You can, again, gather the revenue by CFL fans who would go and watch Montreal play Toronto. There's some great players out there. If they were based in Saskatchewan, one of those teams, and had to play those games, I think they'd gather the revenue, whether it's 50% of the fans coming into Saskatchewan to watch that game or elsewhere, the home team would still be able to gather that revenue for that game. It may be as much as they have. And in fact, if they stayed down east and they don't play, they're not getting any revenue and the league's not getting underway. So you're looking at another big loss for the year. Uh, hopefully by August, they'll have figured out some of the fans in the stands questions. And we know that for the CFL, that is such a big part of, of when and how we restart the season. Canadian NHL teams are already feeling some of that criticism and, and we're in the most of the way through the first round of the NHL playoffs right now and every arena in the U.S. is allowing fans and there's so many questions about why they haven't in Canada. I did hear Montreal was looking at possibly up to about 2,500 fans at a, at a Habs game so it's it's getting there and, and certainly August is three months away from now to the, to the start of that season and hopefully they'll have figured out something at least at what percentage of a crowd you can get in in most of the provinces and and come to terms with what that's going to look like and how to start the schedule you know it, it is kind of interesting that they're they've announced this start date weeks ago and haven't announced a schedule yet and i think that's the biggest piece of the puzzle they're still waiting for is is what provinces are they able to start at what what cities can they get fans in and, and how they build that up from from that level to hopefully full stadiums by the end of the season I firmly believe that the schedule has already been made. And whether it involves the East starting in the West for a few weeks before they come back to play their, their slate of games back home, or if it's everything is good where you are, we can play wherever we need to, the CFL has got the schedule developed. They've got the dates picked out. They've got the stadiums booked. That's not the problem. I think the problem is the hesitancy of those teams and especially out east Montreal and Toronto Ottawa and Hamilton who don't want to sit there and face a situation where they have to start out west they're not going to draw the crowds if Montreal and Ottawa play in Vancouver that they would if Montreal and Ottawa played in Montreal or Ottawa so they're going to take a hit doubly so they have to pay for extra hotels then i don't see how they're going to be thrilled about that and i don't see that you can push a season with three teams in one province saying this isn't going to work now do you think that all three in ontario are really the voices of dissension because from what i've read it seems like hamilton really wants to get the tiger cats back on the field toronto is one of the ones that we a lot of people question whether they really care that much about the CFL team with all of the other entities that they own. So I can certainly see pushback from them, but, but certainly Hamilton seems to be on board. Hamilton, Ottawa are definitely wanting to play. But if you go to them and say, look, of the seven home dates that you have, you're only going to get three. Do you think they'll change their minds? I don't think it would be three. I, I mean, I'm hoping it would be two because if they stayed down west for a month, you could play a couple of games. And again, you're not losing your home games. You're losing maybe two over the course of a month. 
So, I mean, if you're going to have an option of losing seven and two a season or two, where if capacity is one third and you've got a 25,000 stadium, you can only put 10,000 in. I still think they'd pull those fans out to the area. You're right. There's going to be ancillary costs that the league as a whole, I think, would have to agree on. You know, how do we divide those costs? Because to have one team pay those over others, I don't think is necessarily fair. And it brings us back to the revenue sharing ideas that we've certainly bantered around a lot in our podcast. I don't know if if the CFL can go ahead with Ontario not on board. And I'm not saying that they aren't. And I'm not accusing anyone of being or not being. And I'm not saying starting out West is a problem. But I do think that if you lose home dates, if you have to play five at home and nine on the road, two of those nine are still out in the West and you're playing another Eastern opponent, I think that's going to hurt. Yet I, I would still say if I'm a business owner who has the opportunity to do that as opposed to not playing at all because the league's not going forward, I'm still taking that option because I'm, I'm likely to lose less money you know, in, in the event of the league actually moving forward than I would otherwise. And I do believe what you said is, is very prudent. I think the league probably has looked at a number of different scenarios based on if, okay, if Ontario is the last one to go and they don't give us approval until let's say mid-July, then we're going to start this way. If, if approval comes at the end of July, as opposed to we can look at these scenarios. And I think they're doing all of those contingencies. I think they'd be prudent to do it if they're not doing it. And uh, that way they can, they can respond. Because for me, the one thing that is hopeful is things change dramatically in three weeks. When I think of Saskatchewan's situation three weeks ago, as opposed to where we are now with the vaccinations rolling out, it's been a tremendous change to the point where our premier has talked about filling Mosaic Stadium in some of his press conferences. And I, we haven't heard that from everywhere, but we are starting to hear it from people who are making looking forward plans uh, when we talk about both Alberta, BC, some of the others coming forward. And to me, that's, that's hopeful. And I, I sure... Uh, I, I get excited thinking that there's a good possibility then that if the teams can all get on the same page and move together, which we've talked about being a difficult thing to do, uh, but if they can, then there's potential for this league to move ahead and, and start as they initially identified on August 5th. There are so many CFL players that have shown their vaccination cards. It's really important that if we're going to beat this pandemic and get players back playing the game they love, it's part of our job as fans is to get vaccinated. And that's what we're seeing in the U.S., right, is, is there, the CDC is telling people that if you have both vaccines, you don't need to wear a mask in outdoor spaces in public. They're looking at that. So if we kind of take some of that same lesson that they are, are preaching to people, we're going to be able to get people in those, in those stands um, you know, certainly Saskatchewan has done a great job of getting needles into arms of people. So we're, we're well on our way and, and they're looking at second doses now for a lot of people. Again, if we're looking at an August 5th start date, middle of July, pretty much anybody should be able to um, sign up and book appointments for a dose number two here in, in Saskatchewan. So that's going to have us right on pace for that August 5th start date. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Changing gears, Danny Garcia has on Instagram put out a couple of notes. She is hinting the CFL and the XFL are on deep talks 
and that NDAs are vital to those discussions. So those non-disclosure agreements, absolutely. We've we've uh, hinted at that many times, and she certainly seems to be putting it out there a little tongue-in-cheek when she does that, but uh, certainly letting people know that there there seems to be some kind of clamp on discussions. It's really been an amazing feat to uh, to have everybody so quiet for so long. It's certainly better than any any government or anything else that has had the uh, the unnamed sources and that sort of thing, we're not really getting any of that. We're getting little bits of speculation here and there from from people higher up in the in the sports media world, but nobody has anything really solid to go on. So this this non disclosure agreement has been absolutely locked down tight, and it's in, it's frustrating for us as fans to not have any of that. But at the same time, it means they are working really hard on on whatever it is that they're working on. It just means that whatever they're discussing, they deem it as confidential and they don't want the word to get out. I just think that had they let something out other than talking about talking way back at the beginning, the CFL could have managed the message a lot better. As it is now, everyone says, well, it's all speculation, except that's all it is, but it has its own life. And we've done it lots on our podcast. Other podcasts have done the same thing. Nobody knows what's going on. No one is being told what's going on. We know the NDAs are there. It's been ironclad, but an NDA typically has a sanction against you saying anything, and it's usually monetary. The thing that really, I guess, gets to me ultimately is if the CFL on March 10th, when this all broke, had come out and said, yes, we are talking to the XFL and we'll give you more information as it develops. Instead of talking about talking and just that that circular reference that that was, I think they would have been better served. And then come back a month later and said, this is what we're thinking of doing. And it doesn't have to be that specific, but just a a nugget of honesty about what's going on. Remember at the CFL draft, Ambrosi said nothing about anything with the XFL. Absolutely nothing. He announced player names and that was it. There was an opportunity with an audience waiting to hear something that they just either missed or chose not to take advantage. The question is also who wants the non-disclosure agreement and when was it actually instituted? I mean, was it instituted before the CFL broke things? Was it something that was leaked out as we maybe speculated? So you've got potential of leakage there and maybe the non-disclosure was even in place beforehand there may have been a penalty one way or the other and that's maybe why people are sitting extremely quietly your idea don would be great if it were full transparency but we're not sure it necessarily was right from the get-go when did this non-disclosure agreement get ratified or certified or brought forward into the discussion well i wonder if it was in response to what happened on march 10th because i think the CFL was scrambling that day when Justin Dunk interviewed Ambrosi. Ambrosi was not forthcoming with anything. You had the distinct feeling that he just didn't want to be there. And this wasn't supposed to happen this way. Whether you had an NDA before that or immediately after that, it's almost irrelevant because once the word got out, the NDAs were going to be there regardless. What I found really entertaining in this whole thing since March is it's like all fans and media are on this kind of merry-go-round we've kind of come full circle from the first of 
oh, this talk isn't going to amount to anything, to, oh, it's going to be a full merger, to, oh, well, the CFL is going to prove this season that we don't even need to partner with the XFL. <laughs> Hopefully someday we get an answer, um, you know, be it through Danny Garcia or through um, Commissioner Ambrosi. Somebody's got to actually make an announcement at some point, whether it's a, a full steam ahead, whether talks have ceased, you know, whatever the case may be. It, it truly makes people move to different rabbit holes, if you will, right? The media wants something to report. There's nothing to report. So let's speculate. Let's talk about. And the more we speculate, the more other people jump on the bandwagon and speculate. It's it's our social media of the day, if you will, where we keep talking about what, what's potentially out there and nobody truly knows. You hate to go too far. And I know Rob touched on this in, in your podcast. Like how far do you move down the speculation pathway before it becomes... Let's use Donald Trump fake news. Right? Like what what is actually true, what is not true, nobody knows. So you know, at what point can we hopefully stop talking about those things and get back to maybe talking about the game on the field? There's no way that you're going to go into these types of negotiations with NDAs attached unless something big is out there on the table. You're not going to sit there and agree to a marketing agreement. You're not going to sit there and say, no, we're not going to compete on players. You only reach into the NDA drawer when you're hitting very sensitive stuff. And that would be team revenues, expenses, governance, and the CFL for its part wants to be protected because there are certain things that they hold confidential. The XFL would be the same way. So you just cover the entire table with this big blanket, and nobody gets to talk about what we discuss while we're in this room. And I guess one of the biggest questions that we all want an answer to is, whatever the partnership is, what do they want to be? Are we looking at a uh, three-down league all across the board? Are they, you know, is there a real push to, to be a, a four-down league that's going to compete with the NFL, which we've all seen has been attempted and failed in the past? So, you know, I, I think the rules and, and that kind of thing is a big part of what's being discussed that we don't know about. And even even field size and all that kind of stuff, if we go to, to three downs, but some U.S. venues can't accommodate the full size of the CFL field, what does that look like? There's so many variables even in, in what this league or these leagues are going to look like. I've listened to the Mark cast and I've obviously talked to Reed Johnson from the Mark cast and there is a sentiment from the U.S. that, especially the XFL fan group, their big concern is not to become NFL light, which is pretty much what the concern is north of the border as well. The question is, how do you interpret what non-NFL light means? And that's where you get the questions of, will an American audience tolerate three downs, the rouge, motion in the backfield, yard off the ball, all that sort of stuff. I kind of think that they will because if you don't set it up as an alternate game to what is being played in the NFL, what are you? I think that the challenge is convincing some American football fans to, to give it a chance. I think most of us here are football fans in general. I, I certainly do follow the NFL. My passion is the CFL, if I have to pick between one or the other. And I, I just hope that um, the casual American football fan can give three down football a chance to see how exciting and wide open it can be i mean the the unlimited motion the waggle all that kind of stuff adds so many more offensive elements to to what can develop it's it's faster um you know there's the whole 
the, the whole campaign of our balls are bigger and, and the, the field dimensions and that sort of thing that we've gone through in the past to market the CFL. And, and I think hopefully that's where somebody like Dwayne Johnson and, and his social media followers come into play, that he can really push that message and get more eyes onto this product. The one thing we do know about fans in the United States is that they're open to change. Otherwise, you wouldn't have fans of the XFL. I mean, they've done things very differently in their league to try to move away from the NFL. And uh, those those people who follow the league are certainly fans of trying new things. So I think that bodes well for, you know, if, if there's to be some sort of merger between the two where we're taking a look at new rules, then I don't think that uh, you're going to move to just a let's call it a triple A league for the NFL. Uh, I think you're going to take a look at some different nuances to the game. And certainly we know how passionate CFL fans are for their game. The XFL hasn't had a long time to build that history and that connection that fans have. So they're, I think, much more open to change. I guess one question is how much support in the U.S. is necessary to deem it a success? I think you're looking at television ratings. And I think if you get in the top, let's say for sake of argument, 100 shows that week, I think you've you've made a name for yourself. And I think the XFL, if I'm not mistaken, made it there before the pandemic ended that season. The question in my mind always is, not so much the Canadian rules and the timing and the 12 players and everything. It's more if the Saskatchewan Rough Riders go to Tampa Bay, does that, as Reed would say, move the needle? And that's the bigger question. I think in a merger situation, I think... The two sides don't play each other until the championship. And I think that's a big part of the marketing too. You know, you're looking at if they can do a good job of marketing the players that play in Canada, it's going to draw people in, right? If if there's really rabid football fans in the U.S., they're going to recognize the names of some of these guys that they would know from, from their university days. The, you know, and, and again, talking about the NHL, they market the heck out of Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews for American TV audiences as well. You've got to build the recognition, I think, more from the player standpoint than you do from saying the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are coming to Tampa. You've got to look at the reputation of some of these guys. Were they a Division One athlete? Did they play for some of these championship caliber teams? Did they play under some of these coaches that everybody knows? And, and market that. That's what's going to draw eyes to the, those games as opposed to where the the team happens to play their home games. One of the things, though, in you said is that you're going to have to start restricting player movement on some level because you can't have players bouncing all over the place all the time. You need more consistency. Now, with quarterbacking in the CFL, that typically does happen. If you look around the league, most of the quarterbacks have been with that team for more than a season, if not more than two. Market the players then I think you're on the right track. And maybe that's part of the method that they want to employ. The other thing, too, is, and you bring up the NHL, why not player transactions? Why not who's on the protected list? Why not all that sort of stuff that who's going to be FA? Have people have that in front of them so they can play with it. Uh, I know the NHL does a good job of putting out all season long who's up, who's down, who's available, who's not, and... Who's going to be an FA or an RFA? It just adds to the flair. 
I think marketing the players is certainly going to be a key to move forward. And I think it's about marketing the superstars. If you use the NHL analogy again, you don't see or, or talk a whole lot about who that fourth line center is or, you know, the seventh defensive pair. Like nobody really cares about those guys. So it's those superstars that you want to be able to stay with your team to have the ability, you know, a free agency, you write some rules up about that. that keeps some of those superstars in the places they play for a longer period of time. And that can certainly help your marketing program well, i think one thing the cfl has started to do right over the last couple of years is actually release some names on that top secret negotiation list that we always heard about for so long you know it's not fully transparent and, and to don's point i wish it would be um, i i don't know about you guys but every time a team actually releases those few names on the negotiation list i get on the computer and start looking some of them up you know we we knew the odd player like uh, Tim Tebow, for example, was going to be on somebody's negotiation list. He was not somebody that was likely to be a, uh, a successful starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, had a lot of tools that would translate to the CFL. It was that, well, who's, who's got him? And we didn't know. Things like that can, can certainly help with, with name recognition. And like I said, you know, if, if you're going to play in some of these U.S. markets, who's a guy on that on the Canadian team that's heading down there that played college ball you know in the state of Missouri that if they're going to St. Louis or who played for Florida State when they're going to take on the Fang Gang in Tampa Bay right so get some of that out there and and do a great job of of promoting those players and and Don you're absolutely right though the player movement in the CFL and the the two-year contracts and that sort of thing is not helping that situation but hopefully enough of the marquee guys stick around on teams long enough that you're going to be able to to build some of that moment momentum certainly when you watch the nfl they do a great job of doing that when they introduce players you're always hearing what college they're connected to and i think that is one way that if the television rights are out there you can put Cody fajardo from colorado and identify who he played with and and you're going to have people who follow cody fajardo or mike riley because that was their college guy that they cheered for raise that profile, raise that identity. I think that's a cool idea. Even for Canadian players. I mean, if I've got guys that I've been able to watch when I go to a game at the U of R or U of S, I can see, hey, that's uh, Lacombo from, I saw him play at the U of S. He got an interception, he returned for a touchdown, right? And I'm I'm now making a connection to the people, which draws me to the, the game rather than necessarily the team, right? Because whether he's playing for Saskatchewan or Tampa Bay, I could care less, but he's playing for somebody and I know that guy. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.